Turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 13. Um, you can try to follow along with me a little bit later uh, in that passage. Uh, it's going to be kind of different today, I'm going to warn you, because we're going to start a discussion today that we cannot finish in one week. So we're going to get started, um, we're going to kind of have an overview, and then you're going to leave frustrated, I promise. So you're always supposed to make a promise at the beginning of the sermon. Today, the promise isn't going to leave you frustrated, so there you go. So if you're not mad when you leave here, then I haven't done my job. Uh, we have been studying the kingdom of God over the last, oh, 10 or 12 weeks, and as we have been studying what the king of, kingdom of God is and what it does and how it grows and, and, and what it is in our lives, we have been loosely tracking with the flow of the Gospel of Matthew, which is the book in the Bible that more than any other really talks about the nature of the kingdom of God. Jesus uses that phrase over and over again. Actually, in Matthew, he says kingdom of heaven. But it's, it's really kind of the kingdom book in the Bible. Um, but when you get to chapter 13, as we have now, you kind of have to step back and look at the big picture for a little while because I, I know that over the last few weeks, uh, Wes and I have been kind of hitting you in the heart and challenging you at a pretty deep level. And, and today's going to be deep, maybe in another way, it may, it may take a little bit more uh, deep thinking, but I also want to challenge you in the heart as well when we get toward the end. But I do need to, to ask you to kind of put your thinking cap on and, and try to, to um, follow along on a little bit of a journey today. We're going to try to start answering some questions that we've been sort of dancing around a little bit and haven't directly hit, but, but now we're going to start trying to, to come up with an answer. And like I said, some of you will hate this sermon because we're not going to be digging very deeply into a Bible passage like we normally do. Instead, we're going to jump around a little bit, and we're going to look at really four different Bible passages today. But I want to kind of give you a general impression of where we're headed. But I want to start with a specific question this morning that is actually today specific to First Alliance. So here's the question. Uh, we, as you know, this afternoon, and this will also function as an announcement, at 4.30 this afternoon, we're going to meet out on the lawn between here and Arnold Road, and we're going to burn our mortgage because we now legally own this building and the 16 to 17 acres that surround it. And so here's the question. Does that mean that 1370 Arnold Road is now part of the kingdom of God? Because we bought it, Right. Is, is this corner of Black Dairy and Arnold Road now kingdom territory in a way that it wasn't before? Are we sitting, standing on kingdom ground right now? Is this room now part of the kingdom of God? Now, you may have different answers to that, but the question that I'm asking obviously goes to the idea of place. Place. In the sense of where is the kingdom of God? Where is its place? And I've been telling you for weeks and weeks now that the kingdom of God is God's rule over God's people in God's place. Well, if that's true, and some of you aren't yet convinced that that's true, but if that's true, then, then is this the place? Is this, or is this at least part of the place? Again, maybe you've been suspicious of the whole idea, as I've been talking in the last few weeks, that the kingdom of God even has a place, because maybe you remember one time when Jesus was before Pontius Pilate, and he said to him, my kingdom is not of this world. And we may or may not understand that correctly, but, but does that mean that, that the kingdom of Jesus has no visible expression in the world, on earth? The, what I'm asking is this. At this time, now we know that one day God's kingdom is going to be very obvious and very visible, right? 
We just sang about that. When he returns, when Jesus comes back, there's going to be no denying that the kingdom of God is a very visible and powerful and obvious thing. But at this time, at this time before Jesus comes back, in this church age, if you will, is God's kingdom visible or invisible? Is it internal, just kind of residing in our hearts? Or is it external, able to be seen by the world? Is it just a rule Rule meaning the idea that God is in charge, that he is ruling. Or is it a realm, meaning a territory? There's a pretty big difference here. So what is the nature of the kingdom? All right? And here's another question you need to ask, and that is why should you care? And I want to make sure to ask that this morning because it sounds kind of academic, like this whole discussion would be kind of deep. And how is my life impacted by what I believe about something called the kingdom of God? I mean, the kingdom of God, who ever talks about that outside of church, right? Isn't that just something for pastors and theologians and Bible scholars to talk about, the kingdom of God? Isn't that kind of a churchy, theological, religious term that we only hear on Sundays, if ever? And I would say, well, yeah, it's become that. It's become that. And you don't hear the, the phrase kingdom of God very much at Food Lion, probably, right? In fact, you don't even hear it a whole lot from me. I don't use the phrase kingdom of God a whole lot because I don't want to freak out non-Christians that come here because when they hear Christians start talking about establishing a kingdom, they, they might think that we're trying to take over the world, right? And we're not trying to take over the world, not in the way they might think that we are. I also don't want you to get the idea this is Kingdom Hall, if you know what that is. Um, but if you're a believer in Jesus... You really do need to care about this kingdom thing, whether you use the word a lot or not. Because as we found out a few weeks ago, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you are automatically part of this kingdom. Jesus isn't just your savior. He's your king. He's your king. And beyond that, Jesus has told you to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, which means that working to advance God's kingdom, whatever that means, is going to have to be a priority in your life if you're going to follow the person that you call your Lord. And if you believe that God's kingdom is mostly an internal, um, kind of invisible, private heart thing, you will act and think and pray one way. But if you believe that the kingdom is primarily something visible in this world, then you will probably act and think and speak and, and pray in a different way. Now, I'm going to begin to try to bring this question home a little bit to you by referring to a book that I have been reading lately, uh, and the book is called Kingdom Conspiracy. I'll show you a picture of it here. It's by a guy named Scott McKnight. Uh, I don't know where the word conspiracy comes from because I haven't really come across any conspiracies in the book, but I think he wants people to buy it, so he gave it a cool title like that. But, but I would recommend this book to you if you are ready to dive into a very serious, meaty discussion about the kingdom of God. I don't totally agree with the way he presents every argument in this book, but I do believe that in general, the conclusions that McKnight comes to about the kingdom of God are biblical and they're very sound. And, and McKnight begins his book about the kingdom of God by, by pointing out two different concepts of the kingdom that are very popular in the church today. And he calls the first concept of the kingdom skinny jeans kingdom. Skinny Jeans Kingdom, presumably because the pastors of the churches where this idea is, is taught often wear skinny jeans. Now, I have never been into skinny jeans, um, literally, 
Uh, although, as I, as I get older and my rear end shrinks and my legs get thinner, I have been told that I might need to start checking them out. But I'm not there yet. The idea, the idea behind Skinny Jean's kingdom is that the kingdom of God is only present and the kingdom of God is only really being the kingdom of God if the world is being changed in visible ways. If the kingdom really does its job, then the hungry will be fed, the homeless will be housed, the orphans will be loved, the poor will be lifted up, the oppressed will receive justice, and then increasingly today, the systemic evils built into our world, exploitation, racism, inequality, man-made climate change, etc., will be eradicated or at least lessened because of the activity of the kingdom of God. And a lot of this probably should ring true for you because it's hard to argue with an agenda that is filled with such worthy goals. It seems almost self-evident today. Of course, of course Christians should be involved in, in making the world a better place. Why would we not? That's, that's part of what we're supposed to do. But my question is not, are Christians supposed to be making the world a better place? My question for this morning is, is that the kingdom of God? Is that the kingdom of God? Now, or maybe I should ask this, is that all we are called to do? Or is it, in fact, even the primary thing that we are called to do? McKnight ends up boiling down skinny jeans kingdom to this definition, and you might not think it's fair, but here, here's what he ends up boiling it down to. He says that kingdom means good deeds done by good people, Christian or not, in the public sector for the common good. Good deeds done by good people, Christian or not, in the public sector for the common good. And you can see how maybe this idea of kingdom leaves a little bit out. In, in practice, here's what happens. In, in practice, the problem with skinny jeans kingdom, and there are a lot of good things about it, okay, but the, in practice, the problem is that it tends to lose track of evangelism. It tends to lose track of the gospel. And it tends to lose track of the church. Very often, you will hear people that have a certain kind of kingdom vision and say that they're on a certain kind of kingdom mission. They will talk today a lot about the evils and failures of the institutional church. And it isn't that they're not right about those things, because the, the institutional church does have some evils and some failures, but they will also talk about their willingness to leave the church behind if that's what God calls them to do. One pastor says it this way, these young adults, God bless them, they think kingdom has nothing to do with church. What do you think? Note that by this definition, Gandhi was doing kingdom work. The Peace Corps is doing kingdom work. As are a, a, a whole host of Muslim charities, they're doing kingdom work. So is that the case? One missionary makes this observation. He says, religious work in Africa is very interesting today. Almost no missionaries are doing Bible teaching, evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. We're all doing orphanages or trade schools or working with the deaf or HIV, AIDS, education, etc. I'm puzzled as to why this is our reality. One missions-minded pastor of, of a large church notes that he can easily solicit large buckets of money and lots of volunteers if he needs them for kingdom work like social activism, compassion for the poor, AIDS, or building wells in Africa. But he says, if I ask for money for evangelism, I'm lucky if anyone gives me a dime. Now, you know that at First Alliance Church, we support missionaries 
all over the world, and some very special missionaries that are very close to our hearts here, and they are engaged in all sorts of humanitarian efforts, from feeding the hungry, to, to training business people in best practices, to building camel farms in Atlanta. Some of you went with us back to Peru in 2009 when we helped build an orphanage. A few years later, some of you went to Burkina Faso, West Africa, and, and you drilled some wells. Was this all a waste of time? Surely not. I would say we, we were definitely supporting the work of the kingdom. But let me ask you this. What if it had stopped there? What if we had only built the orphanage? And that's pretty much all we did from First Alliance. But what if, what if we, meaning the alliance, had only built the orphanage? What if we had only drilled the wells and we had stopped there? Would that have been kingdom work all by itself? Would we have been expanding the kingdom of God? You can see how the skinny jeans approach to this kingdom results in a very visible result. It's a kingdom you can see and you can point to and you can measure the effectiveness of, but, but what is it losing along the way? This is going to be a huge, huge question for the church, the big church, moving forward. Huge. Because the younger that our church members are, the more likely they are to subscribe to some version of the skinny jeans kingdom. Now, I want you to contrast that with what McKnight calls pleated pants kingdom, okay? And um, I purposefully did not wear my pleats this morning, okay? Although I do admit that that, that that fits me a little more, at least in the wardrobe category, okay? Pleated pants preachers will usually describe the kingdom of God as something almost completely internal and invisible. The kingdom is defined simply as God's rule being exercised, which really only happens in the lives of Christians. And so they'll say, if you're a believer in Jesus, then the kingdom of God is present in your heart. And if you lead another person to Christ, then the kingdom of God moves into that person's heart as well. And while it's true that one day Jesus will return to earth and usher in a kingdom that is very visible, they would say, for now, that kingdom has gone underground. God's rule is very much real in the lives of his people, but when it comes to any visible expression or, or public or even political form of the kingdom, that doesn't really exist since the kingdom is currently hidden from view, kind of spreading beneath the surface and more people are hearing and responding to the gospel and, and becoming followers of Jesus Christ as he forgives them and gives them eternal life and brings them into God's family, and that's how the kingdom grows. And there may be times when this redeeming power of the kingdom kind of breaks through and bursts out in a very tangible, visible way. A person is delivered from an addiction. A marriage is healed. An illness is miraculously healed. But, but that doesn't mean that God is, by doing that, establishing some sort of realm or territory for himself. It just means that his rule in the hearts of certain people, or maybe in families, is being expanded. And you can see how this version of the kingdom, the pleated pants one, it does a better job of emphasizing evangelism. It does a better job of keeping the gospel front and center. But you can probably also see how it might lead God's people to almost completely disengage from the world. Interestingly, in this version of the kingdom, if you apply it a certain way, it also works against the idea of church. Because as long as Jesus resides in your heart, you can be part of pleated pants kingdom forever without becoming a part of the organized body of Christ. So whereas the skinny jeans crowd would emphasize the place where God rules, the realm, 
while tending to lose track of the people who are part of the kingdom, the pleated pants kingdom tends to neglect the idea of place altogether and focused almost entirely internally on the hearts and lives of individual people. So here's the question. Which definition do you think Jesus subscribes to? If Jesus were in the pulpit here today, what would he be wearing? A robe. Oh yeah, I guess, I don't know. Skinny jeans or pleated pants. Okay, if you're looking at Matthew 13, here's where I'm going to kind of disappoint you and make you frustrated because we're not going to read any of these parables. But I'm going to kind of give you a helicopter ride through the entire chapter. But the chapter consists almost entirely of parables, of these little stories, these simple stories or illustrations through which Jesus shares very profound, simple truth. And all of these parables in Matthew chapter 13 have to do with the kingdom of God. So if you're looking for a chapter in the Bible that talks about the nature of the kingdom of God, what it is, what it's like, and how it grows, Matthew 13 is is pretty much where it's at. Now, we're not going to land in this chapter because we've got a few other places to go afterwards, but allow me just to summarize a few of these parables as we kind of fly through the chapter, and maybe you can decide if Jesus here is saying anything about the kingdom that will help us know whether it's visible or invisible, whether it's a rule or a realm, whether it's you know, skinny jeans or pleated pants. First, we have the parable of the sower, the parable of the sower, and what happens there is that People hear what Jesus calls the word of the kingdom. He explains that to his disciples later on in the chapter. They hear the word of the kingdom. And some of them respond, and some of them don't. And these are compared to different types of ground and how they respond to the sowing of seed. And the people who receive the kingdom word successfully into their hearts, they end up multiplying it to others. Then there's another parable again with some planting, and there's a man sowing seed into a field, but this time some of the seed is good and some of the seed is bad. And then the bad seed grows up to be weeds and the good seed grows up to be wheat. And then you've got to kind of sort it out. Next we have the kingdom of God as a mustard seed, which starts out like a tiny grain, the smallest of all seeds, Jesus says, but it ends up being a big tree where birds can make their homes. Next we have the kingdom as leaven or yeast, working through flour working through a batch of dough then starting down in verse 44 the kingdom is a treasure hidden in a field purchased by a man who's lucky enough to discover how valuable it is then the kingdom is a pearl of great price and again someone sells everything he has in order to obtain it and then last we have a net a fisherman's net catching both good fish and bad fish representing a mixture of evil people and righteous people now we're going to look at some of these parables in more detail later but for now I want you to note that there, although there may be some hints in these parables that the kingdom likely takes on some sort of visible form, still most of the time, most of the time here, Jesus' words seem to be a little bit more pleated pants friendly. Okay? The kingdom is invisible like yeast. It's hidden like this buried treasure. The images used to describe its growth are things that are kind of natural and organic processes that you can't really see happening. Meanwhile, we have talk of individual people finding or entering or obtaining the kingdom, but nowhere do we get the idea of the kingdom accomplishing any kind of big systemic change in our fallen world. And this is actually very consistent with the rest of Jesus' teaching. Although his concern for the poor is very evident, and Jesus very clearly tells his people that we need to be generous with and concerned about the plight of the poor, There is no indication anywhere in his teaching that his kingdom people are on some kind of mission to eradicate systemic poverty in the world. 
Although Jesus clearly sees himself ransacking the kingdom of darkness and taking back the people that Satan has held captive, nowhere does he indicate that his people are supposed to try to overthrow the world systems of that evil kingdom. That will happen in Christ's return. But it's not on the agenda for right now. You will search the New Testament in vain for any call to social revolution, either liberal or conservative. So what does that mean? Does that mean the pleated pants guys are all right and the kingdom is only an invisible thing hidden away in people's hearts and nobody ever sees it? Not quite. Not quite. Turn to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. And here we actually will read some scripture, and it's some pretty famous scripture that you might be really familiar with, actually. Matthew 16, starting in 13. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? In other words, who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven and I tell you, verse 18, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. All right. Does anybody else think it's kind of interesting that the idea of church and the idea of kingdom are so related here? That Jesus, in the very same place where he declares his intent to build a church, and in fact, this is the first time that Jesus ever uses the word church, he immediately then turns to his followers and he invests them with what? Kingdom authority. Kingdom authority. Jesus here is explicitly tying kingdom advance to the building of his church, and one thing that immediately follows from that is this, and we need to hear this, where there is no church, there is no kingdom. Where there is no church, there is no kingdom. Kingdom work, whatever that is, only happens in conjunction with this thing called the church, not through other organizations doing good things, not by lone ranger Christians acting alone. After all, what is the church? What is the church? Is it just kind of a list of individual names, some kind of secret roster of the kingdom people? No, the church is a community. It is a visible, interacting community of kingdom people people. And if you don't believe that, turn to Matthew chapter 18. Or even if you do, turn to Matthew chapter 18. Verse 15. Jesus is talking about life in the church, basically. He, he says to his disciples, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. If he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Does that sound familiar? And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two, or two of you on earth agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. There's that language again, right? 
Jesus doesn't use the word kingdom explicitly here, but this, this is the identical word-for-word kingdom authority language he used back in chapter 16. And not coincidentally, it's the only other time in the Gospels when Jesus uses the word church. And that famous verse at the end that says, where two or three of you are gathered, there I am among you. You've heard that before, right? I hope you caught that that verse is not just about prayer. It's about authority. It's about church discipline. It's about relationships. Basically, it's about a local community of kingdom people getting together to work out difficulties and make binding decisions. Jesus says, when you're doing that kind of kingdom stuff, I'm there. Look, here's all I'm trying to say with all this jumping around. It's probably driving all of you crazy. The most obvious reason that the kingdom of God is not entirely invisible is that it always expresses itself as a community. And a community is by definition a visible and tangible thing. It takes up space. Even if it's in cyberspace, that counts. Whenever a community gets together, whether in large or small groups, it inhabits a place. And when it comes to the church, Jesus is in that place. In fact, his authority is in that place. And that means that when we get together, the kingdom is also in that place. So is 1370 Arnold Road kingdom ground? Yes, at the moment. Because the people of the kingdom are here in kingdom community doing kingdom business. We're worshiping. We're encouraging one another. We're discipling one another. We're learning from the word of God. This is a kingdom place and Jesus is here right now among us in power, in authority. He's here. All right, just one more jump to make and it's a big one because you're going to Luke 17. So get out of Matthew and go to Luke chapter 17. And when you get there, go to verse 20. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here, his friends. It says, being asked by the Pharisees, Luke 17, 20, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst or in the midst of you. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus has been watching these guys, the Pharisees, for a long time. And the Pharisees do want the kingdom of God to come. We talked about them last week, how they thought the kingdom of God was basically a bunch of moral rules and they were going to be the world's moral policemen. But they wanted the kingdom of God to come. But what Jesus is saying to them is, look, you're scanning the horizon for signs. You're looking all around the world for signs that the kingdom is coming. You know what? You're never going to get the sign that you're looking for. It's never going to happen. And the reason is not that the kingdom is totally invisible. If you have a King James there, it says the kingdom of God is within you, but the word can mean within or in the midst of, and the kingdom of God is not within the Pharisees. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is in your midst. He's saying, look, the reason that you're not seeing the kingdom of God is not because it's invisible, it's because you can't recognize it. Because guess what? It's standing right in front of you. The kingdom of God was right there in the person of Jesus. The kingdom of God was appearing in visible form in their midst because where the king is, that's where the kingdom is. So the kingdom of God can appear even in the midst of a bunch of unbelievers if Jesus is there. But now follow me. When is Jesus there? Today. When is Jesus there? Where is Jesus? 
He's, he's in us. He inhabits his kingdom people through the Holy Spirit. And that is especially true in even a different way when his kingdom people have two or three of them together and they show up in the same place and they start doing kingdom things. And that place, that physical place where Christians are interacting with non-Christians can become kingdom ground. It can become a place where kingdom work can be done. It can become a place where kingdom advance can be made. Let me illustrate this for you with just a, a simple kind of silly illustration from my life in the past week. Um, this past Wednesday, I was, I was really busy. I was running around doing a lot of things, and, and this has been a real busy weekend to get prepared for. So I was kind of behind the eight ball, and, and in the middle of it, I had to get my car inspected. So at lunchtime, I skipped lunch, and I ran up to Welcome Automotive on my lunch hour and, and was getting my car inspected. And I was sitting in a little waiting room all alone, and I decided, you know what, i got to get some stuff done. So I, I decided I would make some calls. And I'm the only person in the waiting room. I figured I'm not bothering anybody. And the one person I had been trying to get a hold of was, was Jim Abbott, because Jim is, as some of you know, he, had, he broke his hip recently, and he's in rehab, and he's having, he was having a pretty difficult time. And so I tried to call him, but I hadn't gotten a hold of him. And so I called him again from the, from the service station there, and, and lo and behold, he picked up. So Jim and I started talking um, for like 10 minutes, and as we're talking, there's people coming in and sitting all around me in, in the waiting room. And if you know Jim, Jim likes to talk about Jesus. So we did a lot of talking about Jesus during this conversation over the next 10 minutes as people came in and sat next to me and, and tried to pretend like they weren't listening to me, but I knew that they were. And I started to feel a little bit self-conscious because at the end of a conversation like that, I would normally pray with somebody and uh, I almost skipped it, you know. But after the conversation, I knew that Jim and I really needed to pray together. And so we did. And so I prayed over the phone with him right there in that waiting room. And after I finished and hung up, the lady next to me was like, wow, that was so wonderful that we can all have prayer right here in the service station. I guess there were people praying with me. I don't know. And she started talking about the power of prayer, and she's telling me about something else that she was praying for and wanted me to pray for. And then another lady chimed in the conversation. Then one of the mechanics came walking through and said, hey, I heard there was a prayer meeting going on in here. And then another one came through. He, an owner came through. He said, hey, is the Holy Spirit in here? I heard something going on. Now, um, I'm sorry to say that's as far as it went. I, I did not get an opportunity to preach a sermon, and we did not have a revival at Welcome Automotive, because if you've ever been there, you know it's way too busy for that to happen. And, and I hadn't gone in there with the goal of doing any you know, kingdom work, per se, other than calling a friend who needed prayer. But it was a really good reminder, listen, of how when the church is being the church, okay, a kingdom community operating in the midst of the world, the place where that happens can, at least for a moment, become kingdom ground, physically become kingdom ground. Now, this is right. If this is right, that means there are places in your life that have the potential to become kingdom ground this week. Places where the kingdom community intersects the world, either just in the person of you or even better if there's two or three gathered together doing kingdom things. So, so your place of business can become kingdom ground. The field where you coach your kids' sports team can become kingdom ground. Your loved one's hospital room can become kingdom ground. I've seen it happen. Your public school, yeah, even that, can become kingdom ground 
if just for a few minutes or a few hours. In fact, we're going to talk later about much bigger and much more long-lasting expressions of this because in the weeks to come, you're going to hear me talking about kingdom outposts, which are places where the kingdom represents Christ to the world. Okay, there, there's a lot more we have to say about this. I hope you'll hang on to this and we'll pick up the discussion next week. But for now, I just want to leave you with a couple reminders you can take home with you. Right? First is this. Don't totally give up on the idea of Christians changing the world. Right? I didn't say that's never going to happen. What I said was that was not the defining work of the kingdom at this time. Okay, we're going to put that in a little more perspective next week. But the world does get changed. Second, please do not forget the close association between kingdom and church. Part of seeking God's kingdom first is going to be connecting in meaningful ways to a community of other kingdom-minded people. So don't be deceived into thinking that you can somehow serve the kingdom and leave the church behind because it can't be done. And then lastly, ask yourself this question. Where are the places in my life, the physical places in my life, that have the potential to become kingdom ground this week. Places where I can, I can engage the world and help the kingdom community intersect with the lives of the people around me who don't know Jesus. And kingdom progress can be made. Let's spend some time in prayer, then we'll be dismissed. Lord, I lift up this, this church to you right now. As we meet in this place, we are your kingdom people, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, brought into your family through the baptism of the Holy Spirit into the body of Jesus here at, at, at this particular local church. And God, I, I pray that you would just fill us with your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would help us to understand when we walk out the doors of this place that we carry the kingdom with us. I pray, Lord, for businesses and schools and sports teams and, and hospital rooms and, and clubs and the senior center and, and neighborhoods and picnics and wherever else we might go, especially if two or three of us are gathered, that that kingdom dynamic as it is present would in fact turn those places into kingdom ground that you would give us opportunities to, to do kingdom things, to do Sermon on the Mount type of things together in view of this world, to actually live the gospel in that way so that we'd be able to share the gospel verbally with the people around us as they take part in what we're doing and as they see what's happening. Lord, I pray that you would make First Alliance Church a, a kingdom community at every age, every family, every place that we go. Lord, we still are praying that you help us because we need more to be the kind of kingdom community that you want us to be. We still need a staff member. And Lord, we continue to pray for that, for that discipleship and worship person to be provided for us. We still need direction as to what this looks like after we pay off this mortgage and we've already paid it off, Lord, that there's freedom now to make some decisions. And Lord, we still need your direction. And I pray that that direction will be evident not just to me, not just to a few people, not just to the leadership, but to the whole church as we travel together to whatever new thing you have for us. And Lord, I pray for kingdom discussions to happen this week where people around us can hear that Jesus died for them to pay the penalty for their sins, to bring them into a relationship with a holy God who otherwise would have to send them away. And Lord, that it's better than that that he offers to adopt them as sons and daughters 
And then he offers to bring them into a meaningful life in which this kingdom becomes that which we seek first and that which gives meaning to all of our experiences and that which changes the world ultimately. And Jesus, we thank you that one day you are coming back and even in the midst of the craziness that we live in, we know that ultimately you are going to set things right. In the meantime, we pray that you would truly make us your kingdom people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.